Psalm 49 this morning. I got some questions for you this morning, though. If a plane crashed on the border between the U.S. and Canada, where do they bury the survivors? Ah, oh, see, some of you heard these before. The kids might like these, though. If you only had one match and you entered a dark room containing an oil lamp, some newspaper, and some kindling wood, which would you light first? The match, of course. Right, right, right. If Mr. Smith's peacock laid an egg in Mr. Jones's yard, who would own the egg? Right. Peacocks don't lay eggs. Peahens lay eggs. Peacocks don't lay eggs. Okay. It's like asking a rooster to lay an egg. It doesn't work. Okay. All right. Here you go. How much dirt is there in a hole three feet deep, six feet long, and four feet wide? Right, it's a hole. There's no dirt in the hole. That's the whole point, right? If, you know, if there was dirt, it wouldn't be a hole. All right, all right. Well, I, got, well, I got one more. This one will get you. All, a farmer had 15 sheep, and all but eight of them died. How many are left? Eight, right? All but eight of them died. There's eight of them left. All right, so, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Those aren't very good. Those aren't, those aren't very good riddles. I know that, right? They're not really riddles exactly. They're, they're not good ones, at least, and they're best I could do. No, but, um, riddles are kind of interesting things, though. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but they force us to look at things from a different perspective uh, because they ask a question or they make a statement in a way that's tricky. And this morning, as we continue our series, Finding Purpose in the Psalms, we're going to consider the meaning of a riddle. Only this time it won't be silly and pointless like the ones that I started off with. The sons of Korah, in writing Psalm 49, intend to open up a riddle. Or as verse 4 describes it, a dark saying. There's something on the psalmist's heart that he wants to share with us. Something that he has meditated on for quite a while. It's a bit of wisdom that is essential for living and dying in this world. Let's take a look here at the opening verses of Psalm 49. You don't have to read them with me. I, I don't have them on the screen for you to read, but you can follow along with me there in your Bible. As I read them, the psalmist writes this, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand the dark saying here of Psalm 49. Heavenly Father, we are gathered together this morning because we want to worship you. We want to have a right understanding of who you are, of what you have done, and how you want us to live in this life, and what you call us to do in obedience to your word. And we need help. We need help understanding the truth. We need help accepting it and receiving it into our own hearts and lives. I pray this morning that you would help us to do that, that you would uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would take your word and you would apply it to the needy area of our life. I pray that you'd help me as I speak, give my voice strength, 
And help me, Lord, as I intend to proclaim your word. Help me not to distract from it. Help me not uh, to do anything that would hinder your work this morning. But I pray that you would use your word to change us, to make us what you want us to be. That you would receive all of the glory and the praise for everything that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we begin this morning in Psalm 49 with the introduction. We've already read these verses. The psalmist here addresses all the people who live on the earth. The psalm is not just a message for the people of God. Not just a message for the nation of Israel. It's not even just a message for the church today. It's for all peoples, for all inhabitants of the world to hear and to receive. So this morning, whether you are rich or you are poor, you need to know what the psalmist is about to say. Whether you are influential and in an important position, or whether you are just a common man or woman, you need to learn what the psalmist has to say. It is wisdom. It is understanding, and it will make the difference between eternal life and eternal death. Now, does it sound like maybe I'm overstating the case this morning? No. I think if we take a look at the psalmist's riddle and hear his explanation, you'll see why I say this is such an important message. The first thing we see in verse 5 is that he, he states the riddle. Okay. And then he offers this explanation in two parts, and we'll look at each part in turn. So in verse 5 he says this, Why should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Now at first glance you may not understand why this is a riddle. <laughs> um, it... it, it you know, but I want you to see here. Notice that he describes the world around him in certain terms. He, say, he calls them days of evil. He says that iniquity or perversity is at his heels. We're reminded of, of uh, in the book of Genesis, of Jacob, who was nicknamed heel grabber by his brother. Because he was always trying to trip him up. Or at least that's what he saw for. And that's what the psalmist is saying. It's evil is always around. It's always at my heels. Now, if that's the circumstance in which we live, then don't you think that maybe it's reasonable to be afraid? Don't you think that a reasonable person would be afraid of that, of that evil overtaking him, tripping him up? It seems to me... Like that would be a reasonable conclusion. If we live in such a world where evil is all around us, where the days are evil, then maybe there's right, a reason to be afraid. Everywhere around us there are threats of pain and loss. You turn on the news and you see headlines. Things that are happening in our world that could bring fear seems like right now the popular thing uh, to do if you're a terrorist is to get in a truck and drive it into a crowd of people. Happened today again in Jerusalem. Okay. And five Israeli soldiers, 20 years old, were killed. 
Nine others were injured. I mean, you turn on the news and you see this happen. You know, Christmas market in, in uh, Germany. Also today in Iraq, there was a car bombing. Fifty people were hurt. Much people were killed. I don't know. And just think about it. You turn on the news and you see this and you think, man, it's an evil day. And evil is all around us. Shouldn't we be a little bit afraid? Doesn't it make sense for us to be a little bit of afraid? And yet the psalmist asks this question and almost as if he is defying what might be reasonable sense. Why should I fear? Why should I be afraid in these days of evil? Why should I be afraid when evil surrounds my feet? I think if we continue on here and we see what the psalmist says and how he explains this riddle, we'll understand why he says what he says here. I think the psalmist is is claiming to not be afraid. He's claiming to have no fear of these evil days, no fear of the evil that is constantly at his heels. How is that possible? Well, let's consider the proverb this bit of wisdom that the psalmist is sharing with us. We'll look at one side of the coin and then the other, if you will. This morning, I, I think in verses uh, 6 through 12, especially, we see this statement or this principle uh, very clearly stated trusting in wealth is foolish. Notice what he says in verse 6 those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches. He's talking here about a certain class of people. Not those people who are rich or poor. Remember, he's talking to both of them. He said that in the opening verses. He's not just talking to those who are powerful and famous. Nor is he talking to just those who are unknown or unimportant. He's already said, I'm talking to all people. But he's talking about here about a class of people who trust in their wealth. These are men and women who run to money and to possessions for confidence and security. That's what that word trust means. They see wealth as their refuge. I'm immediately reminded of Psalm 46 and verse 1 that we read and studied a few weeks ago. The Lord is our refuge and strength. That's what the people of God say. But the psalmist here is talking about people who don't say that. Instead, money, wealth, that is their refuge. Their hope for the future is completely wrapped up in their material possessions. And again, this applies to more than just people who have a lot of money. Because even those who are poor can be driven by the desire for wealth because they think that it will give them security, right? They don't have it, but they want it because if they had it, they just know that everything would be okay. So it doesn't matter here. We're not just talking about those who have wealth and those who are rich because I don't know that any of us fall into that category so we could all just say, well, that's not me, I'm good. We'll let this one go on by. 
So the Apostle Paul says, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Those who desire to be rich, those who long for wealth. The psalmist here says, listen, the, the people that I'm talking about are those who trust in it. They believe that wealth will give them security and protection from all of the dangers of life. And, and not only that, but they boast in the multitude of riches. These are people who when they get wealth, they make a show of it. Because in their minds, wealth equals status. Having wealth, having riches, makes them a higher class of human being in their eyes. And so the picture we have here is of people who are completely dependent on their riches, thinking that because they have them, they are protected from all of the problems that all the rest of us have to deal with on a daily basis. But does that actually work? Well, look at what he says in verse 7 through 9. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. You know, in the book of Matthew, we find Jesus asking a rhetorical question that may have been derived from this psalm. He may have been thinking of this psalm when he said it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? How much money do you think it would take to buy eternal life? Even if you could somehow amass all the treasures and all the wealth of this planet, do you think it'd be enough to buy your way out of debt? Right. Psalm 49, verses 7 through 9 says it wouldn't. Notice what it says. He can't by any means redeem or buy back his brother there in verse 7. He can't by any means. It's not possible. There's nothing that a man could give that would pay that ransom. Why? Well, he says it in verse 8 because it's costly. And that's an understatement. (laughs) The ransom for a man's life. The price to redeem his soul from death is more than you could pay. It will cease forever, he says there in verse 8. I think he's talking there about the life, the person's life, their soul. It will cease. It will come to an end. Your life, your brother's life, I mean, it's almost as if he puts it in the most magnanimous possible terms here. Just think if, not for yourself, but for someone else, you were to pay so they could have eternal life. No. It's too costly. Life will end forever. It will. You cannot escape it. Can anyone pay a ransom that will guarantee his escape from the pit? No. Because everyone goes there, without exception. Trusting in wealth is foolish because you can't buy eternal life. 
Trusting in wealth is foolish because you can't buy eternal life. This life has only one exit. The psalmist calls it the pit. He says it like it's a proper name. The pit. Everyone goes there, he says. No matter how much money you have, you have to face the reality that one day you'll end up in the grave. It happens to us all and there's nothing you can do about it. You're only going to have a certain number of days in this world. And then it's going to be over. And all the money in the world won't change that. But there's more to it than that. It's not just the certainty of death that the psalmist points to here. Look at verses 10 through 12. For he sees the wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person, person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. He's still talking here about the foolishness of trusting in riches. But he's emphasizing a little bit of a different part of the same truth. And it's this. Trusting in wealth is foolish not only because you can't buy eternal life, but because you can't ensure your own legacy. You can't. Whatever wealth you have and whatever honor it brings you in this world, you won't take it with you when you go. Both the wise and the foolish meet the same fate, right along with the senseless or stupid man. That's what he, he's talking about here. And he uses the word senseless person. It's a stupid person. It's someone who refuses to learn from experience. They die. And everything they own becomes someone else's property. This isn't the riddle, but I just want to know, does anybody know why the city of Delavan is named Delavan? Any history buff here know the answer to that? I didn't know. I looked it up. I, that was the only reason I know that. So I don't want to make myself out to be some like Jeopardy contestant here. <laughs> be a good question for Jeopardy. Delavan was named after Edward Cornelius Delavan, of course. Does anybody know who Edward Cornelius Delavan was? Really? You don't know? I mean, come on. This guy was influential. He was wealthy. He was famous. Nobody knows who he was. He was one of the most prominent advocates for prohibition in the 19th century in the United States. And the town of Delavan was named in his honor. But Edward Cornelius Delavan is gone. He's been dead for more than 140 years. And the town of Delavan, which was originally founded as a prohibition town or a dry town, is not any longer, is it? So much for his legacy, huh? Right? What kind of legacy is that? But that's the point that the psalmist is getting at here. You can name your home. You can name a town. You can name a monument after yourself. But it doesn't mean much of anything once you're gone. And it's only a matter of time before everyone forgets who you were and what you did. The name may linger on. Nobody even remembers what it's connected to or what it means. At the end of the day, we're not much different from the beasts which die and perish altogether. Your life and mine 
The psalmist says, are like a traveler who stops at an inn to rest for the night. But he says there in verse 12 that it, man does not remain. It's a description of a traveler who stops at, the, at an inn for the night, but he doesn't make it to the morning. Our life is passing away. There's nothing that you or I can do to stop it. There's nothing that you can do to change what happens after you're gone. This is the reality you have to face. It's a cheery message today, isn't it? For a cold January morning. Sounds a bit like the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. My friend and former missionary Leonard Smith used to read it. Soap bubbles, soap bubbles, all is soap bubbles. I think he had a college or seminary professor that used to say that. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you can get, your life will end the same as the dog or the cat you have as a pet. And your imprint on the world won't last a whole lot longer than theirs in the great scheme of things. Now, before I drive you all into despair, I want to <laughs> look at the other side of the coin. <coughs> This is the proverb here the psalmist is sharing. Look at verse 13. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings, Salah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me, Salah. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. If trusting in wealth is foolish then trusting in the Lord is wise. If trusting in the well in wealth is foolish, trusting in the Lord is wise. And you need to notice the differences between what he says in verse 13 and what he said in verse 10. Because in verse 10, he said that all men, wise and foolish, die and leave their wealth for others. But in verse 13, his focus is only here on the foolish. Now he's not talking... Or now, rather, he's talking about what happens to us after we die. Not what happens to our wealth, not what happens to our legacy, but what happens to us. The foolish man here is compared to sheep. Why? Well, because he's confident in his own wisdom. He never realizes the danger that he's in until it's too late. And he's in the domain of the grave. The picture here is a graphic one. The fool dies and death feeds on him. Another way of, of translating that particular um, line in verse 14 is that death is the shepherd. Here's the sheep and death is the shepherd of the fool. And rather than protecting and guarding the sheep and caring for the sheep, death consumes the sheep. This is the reality. The fool dies and death 
feeds on him, regardless of his position, regardless of his power in life, the psalmist says the righteous will have dominion or rule over him in the morning. This is the first hint that we get at the psalmist's real hope. What morning is he talking about? Well, he's already kind of said in verse 12 that man, even though he lives in honor, does not remain. And I said that word remain is like a, a traveler who goes to the inn and doesn't make it to the morning. And so there's, a, there's the idea here that death is like the darkness of night. We can't get through it. All of us will go to it and we can't come out on the other side. There's no hope. There's nothing we can do to get through it. We all go there. We all die. And yet, the morning, well, what is the morning? The next verse makes it very clear here. He's speaking about the resurrection. If death is the great equalizer, because rich and poor, low and high, all must die, then the resurrection is the great separator, the great divider. It makes a clear distinction between those who are truly wise and those who are foolish. Verse 15 is a bright shining light in what would otherwise be a very dim and dark psalm. The psalmist, the wise man, trusting in the Lord, knows, rather, the psalmist knows that trusting in the Lord is wise. Why? Why is trusting in the Lord wise when trusting in money and wealth is foolish? Because God redeems those who trust in Him. That's what verse 15 is all about. And we need to compare this verse with, with what the psalmist said in verses 7 through 9. Because there he talked about how it was impossible for any man to redeem his brother. Right? It's too costly. Verse 8, the redemption of their souls is costly. Who can earn enough money? Who can gather enough resources to purchase redemption for his own soul? No one. Who has enough resources to give God a ransom for his brother that he should live forever and never see death? No one. How can anyone be redeemed from the grave? Well, let me tell you, it takes more than is humanly possible. It takes divine resources. That's what this scripture is telling us. That's why verse 15 is so important. Because the man who doesn't trust in wealth but trusts in the Lord, God will redeem his soul from the power of the grave. Think about that. No man could do this. Only God could do it. So once again, as we're reading through and studying through an Old Testament passage, we come to a verse that points us forward to the necessary truth of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. If man can't pay to redeem himself and he can't pay to redeem his brother, then God had to do it, right? If we can't do it ourselves, then the only hope is that God would do it. And so we needed God to come to earth. Now it's unlikely, I think, that the sons of Korah fully understood the implications of this truth. I, I, I have no doubt they believed in the resurrection. That they had faith that God would redeem them after the grave and that they would be uh, with Him. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt that Old Testament saints believed in that. The book of Job is clear on that. 
Abraham believed in that. We know that to be true. But I don't think they necessarily understood all of the implications of what this required. But we have the benefit of seeing it through our own perspective coming after the New Testament. The book of Hebrews tells us this. He himself, that's Jesus Christ, shared in flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the human race was in bondage to the fear of death. Well, duh. If we go around and we just take two minutes to look at the world around us and look at what has happened to every single person that has ever lived on this earth before us and we realize that it doesn't matter how rich and how powerful, how influential, they're all in the same place, they're all in the grave. When we realize that's true, it's, it's cause for despair. It's a cause for fear, right? There's a reason that people fear death. And if they are in this position of being subject to bondage, then they ought to fear death. Because death is, is hopeless. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came and took on flesh. That he became a man. Why? So that he could die. What good would that do? Well, because in dying... He destroyed him who had the power of death. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? <laughs> he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, that's why it matters. And we can go all the way back here to Psalm 49, all the way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, to see the essential truth that man cannot redeem himself. We had to have God. We had to have the divine power of the Son of God who would come and redeem us. The psalmist here, in faith, confesses that by trusting in the Lord there's hope. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. That last line of verse 15 is so important as well. For he shall receive me. That word receive is the same word that's used of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 24 where it says Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch was a godly man, and the scriptures tell us that he was transported directly to heaven to be with God. The psalmist says that his confidence in the Lord is such that he will die, and yet he too, like Enoch, will be taken by God to be with him forever. That's the confidence that this psalmist has. Not trusting in wealth, but trusting in the Lord. This is the hope of all those who put their trust in the Lord. 
And speaking of hope, the psalmist's confident hope of heaven gives him hope for this present life too. Look again at how he finishes the psalm. Verse 16, Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, and the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for man will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Trusting in the Lord is wise because God gives hope to those who trust in him. Not just hope of heaven, not just hope of eternity, but hope in this life. The riddle here from verse 5 comes back to us now, along with the explanation. Why should we fear these evil days? Well, we shouldn't if we have wisdom. Because the man who becomes wealthy and influential in this world, he's no threat to us. Not really. I mean, he could trouble us in this life. I understand that. He may even take our life, but someday he will die. And he'll leave all of his money and his power behind. Not even his glory or prestige will follow him to the grave. All of it will vanish away. In this way, he will become just like his father before him and his grandfather before him who passed away. One generation rises up and another generation fades away. This is the way of the world. And only the man who trusts in the Lord will have hope for the future. And so rather than fear him, I think on some level we ought to pity him. The man who trusts in his wealth. The man who is so caught up in this world and the, and the influence and the power and the glory that he can receive. Because he's going to give it all up at the end. With nothing to show for it. And no hope. I think at the end of Psalm 49, we come to another riddle. Maybe it's not a riddle, maybe it's just a challenge. Will you receive understanding? Or will you continue to live as a stupid fool, trusting in your own wealth and your own strength? The facts are clear. No one gets out of this life alive. You can live a long time. 80, 90, 100 years. Just got an update from Pat Christensen. Uh, those of you who remember, she and her husband Dave were missionaries in Mexico for many years, supported by the church here. Dave died suddenly a couple years ago. Pat's living in Florida now. Her mother just celebrated her 100th birthday last year, and this, I think this week is going to celebrate her 101st. Maybe you'll live that long. But eventually, you'll go down to the grave, just like every other man or woman on earth. What's going to happen to you then? If you're living today for wealth, if you're living for power or for personal glory, then whatever honor you receive in this life is all you'll ever have. When you die, you'll leave it all to someone else. Even your legacy will be left in someone else's hands, and given enough time, you will be completely forgotten. In that way, you really are like the beasts that perish. But there's an alternative. You can hear the words of the psalmist. You can consider his wise saying. 
You can see the foolishness of continuing to live for this world's pleasures. And you can see the wisdom in trusting God to redeem your soul from the grave. Instead of demanding a ransom from you that you could never pay, God paid Himself by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary to defeat death. And if you're wise, you'll turn to Him and you'll cry out in desperation today for mercy and for forgiveness so that you too can be redeemed from death and received by the Lord into heaven. You know, to live and die without understanding is truly to be like the beasts. But to live and die with biblical wisdom is to have hope. Even for those of us who are Christians today, there's a danger that we would live as fools rather than as wise men. But don't trust in your riches. Don't trust in your riches to save you. Don't trust in your riches to give life meaning or purpose. But I would submit to you this morning that even as we begin this new year, trust in the Lord to redeem your soul from the grave. If you want to live 2017 with hope, regardless of how much money you have or don't have, if you want to have hope in the midst of these evil days, where every news report brings the reality of sin to your mind, then I trust you'll embrace the wisdom that Psalm 49 offers today. And I trust that you'll live by faith in the God who will receive you. Let's pray.